270 for the invitation song. Not too awfully long ago, and I don't remember the details, we were having a meeting and we were deciding, I'm not sure exactly if we were trying to find someone to fill in or someone had asked for some help on a mission type work or something, I don't really recall. But I had called Brother Roger Campbell about that individual and he said that that would be a worthy individual either for help or someone we could trust to come and preach the word and so I brought that back to the to the men and I said brethren I don't know this man but brother Roger Campbell said that he was good and that's good enough for me and that was the consensus of everybody in the meeting and that's how much we appreciate and love brother Roger Campbell we're glad that he's with us tonight uh I had to uh you know had to get this thing on Thursday nights because he just has a couple Wednesday nights a year, and he told me no, I think, last year. So I said, i got to figure something else out. But anyway, uh, we're glad that he's coming uh, to come to be with us tonight as we continue our summer series on living the Beatitudes. We've talked about being blessed because I'm poor in spirit, being blessed because I mourn. And tonight, Brother Roger will come and speak to us, and the title is, I am blessed because I am meek. And I don't know of a greater person to teach on that topic. Come speak to us, brother. I don't think you'd be shocked if I tell you we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, let's get together in Matthew chapter 5. I am grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. Donna and I have been blessed the last 20 years that we've lived in southeast Tennessee to be here at White Oak a lot of times. Several times as a visitor for your gospel meetings and for your lectureships, and sometimes in your Wednesday night or Thursday night series, and uh, it's always refreshing to come here and be with y'all. And uh, we appreciate the congregation here, and I especially am grateful for the privilege of being here tonight. Everything that Jesus said was important. Those of us who grew up on hog farms, we're not used to all these contraptions, okay? Everything Jesus said was important. But when you study what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's just amazing. The the depth, the riches of what He taught on this occasion. There's some things in life that once you study them, you go on and you never go back and and, and study those things again. Once you learned how to read that, that whatever color book it was, you learned how to read out of, see, flip, run. Once you got past see and flip, run, you don't go back and read that book, right? Once you learn how to do your multiplication tables, you, you don't go back to those. But when you study the Scriptures, you go back again and again and again, and from that same well, you are enriched every time. It may be the case that from the time you were a small child, you were introduced to the Sermon on the Mount. You may have even memorized some portions of it, but every time you go back and study it, aren't you blessed again? To see the simplicity and yet the depth 
of the teaching of our Lord. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We even call those verses from Matthew 5 and verse 3 down to verse 12, we call those the Beatitudes. Remember this about the Beatitudes. They're not optional. They're mandatory. And the Beatitudes are not addressed to one follower of Jesus. They're addressed to every follower of Jesus. And so every aspect of every beatitude is something for every one of us to apply in our lives. You know by observation, you know from experience probably that worldly views often are not the same as God's views. When we're talking about the question, what does it mean to be a success in life? Worldly view and God's view are very different. What's it mean to be a real man? What's it mean to be a real woman? Worldly view is very different from God's view. What kind of characteristics does Jesus want his followers to have? We're learning that as we study the Beatitudes. And tonight in particular, we're looking at verse number 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You buying that? Of course we're buying it. Of course we accept it. Jesus said it, so it has to be true. And so tonight as we speak about that assigned topic, I'm blessed because I'm meek. It doesn't mean we go around with the bad saying, I'm a meek fellow, so I'm really something. But the point is, when we possess and demonstrate those characteristics which Jesus wants from us, we're blessed people. Now the word blessed here is not simply the idea that God gives us blessings, but it's the idea of happiness. Happy is the fellow that mourns. Happy is the person that's poor in spirit. Happy is the person who, who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Again, is the worldly view of happiness different from the Lord's? It sure is. As a follower of Jesus, we want to do our best to have our thinking in tune with what He wants us to do. And we do that by opening the Scriptures and drinking from this great well of information. Here's what I want to do tonight with this topic. First of all, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be meek. Secondly, is that really expected of me or is that just kind of an optional matter? And then thirdly is down where the rubber meets the road. How do we apply this teaching about meekness in our lives? In other words, what are some scenarios in life where you and I need to be meek people? And then the last part of our lesson tonight will be the portion of that passage which talks about inheriting the earth. What in the world does that mean? That there's happiness or blessing in being a meek person, Jesus said, for, it means because, because the meek shall inherit the earth. God willing, we'll go back to the Old Testament and find how that thought is introduced before Jesus came into the world. Let's, let's start tonight, first of all, with what does it mean? If I'm going to demonstrate meekness in my life, we're going back to verse 3, if I'm going to demonstrate that, that spirit, okay, being poor in spirit, if I'm going to demonstrate those things in my life, I need to understand what it means. Although in the English language, 
the word meekness sounds an awful lot like the word weakness, they are not the same meanings at all. Meekness is not weakness, and weakness is not meekness. Moses is described at his point in time as being what the most meek person on the earth. Numbers chapter 12 and verse number 3. What about Jesus? Does the Bible describe Jesus as being meek or some versions lowly? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, or humble, some versions say. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 29. Or there's that fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The prophecy was that the Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem riding on a what? On a donkey. And in Matthew 21 and verse number 5, the, the message is, Zion, here comes your king meek or gentle and lowly. So yes, Jesus and Moses exemplified meekness. When you look at the entirety of what the Bible says about Moses and Jesus, would we describe them as being weaklings? Of course not. When you look up the the, the definition of the Greek word, okay, not as we use it in the 21st century, but how that word was used in the New Testament, Mr. Thayer, who was not a member of the church, but his task as a lexicographer was to take the Greek word and put it in English so we could understand the meaning of that word. And here's the definition that Mr. Thayer gives for that Greek word from which we get the word meek or meekness. He's got the word meekness. He also has mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. So so those three ideas hang together in the definition, that Greek word, meekness, mildness, gentleness, okay? So that's what it means. And so as we work through this lesson tonight, seeing the blessing or happiness that's there for the meek, what that means is to be a gentle, mild person. Now, let's take take a, a second thought. What about, what's the Lord's level of expectation for you and me to be meek people. You know, some things in life, you don't have to be a meek person, meek person to accomplish those things. You can get a high school diploma. You can obtain your GED without being a meek person. A whole bunch of people have. You can get a driver's license in the state of Tennessee or in the state of Georgia without being a meek person. A whole bunch of people have. You can get a marriage license. You can get married without being a meek person. A whole bunch of people have. But you can't be a person who pleases the Lord, and I can't be a person who pleases the Lord without being a meek person. Brother Campbell, I don't mean to be argumentative, but but what I read in my Bible in Matthew 5 and verse 5, that's not a command. Technically speaking, the way that message is presented, it's not in the form of a command. Okay? It's not be meek, but isn't the implication if we're going to be disciples of Jesus and we're going to be faithful followers, the implication is that's the kind of people that he wants us to be. Hold your place here in Matthew 5 if you'd like. Turn back to the book of Zephaniah. And if you want to start in Malachi and go backwards, that'll work. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. There you go, Zephaniah chapter 2. If we had been in the audience 
when Jesus was presenting the Sermon on the Mount. We would have been Jewish people. And as Jewish people, we were expected to be familiar with the message of the Old Testament. And so as we heard the Master speaking about meekness, at least in our minds, we would have been nodding our heads, I've got you because I remember from the Old Testament, God called on His people to be meek. Now the setting for the book of Zephaniah is the destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah was on the horizon. And in the book of Zephaniah, that day is called the coming day of the Lord. It's called the day of God's wrath. Was there anything? Was there anything that the Jews of Zephaniah's time could do to avoid that punishment that was coming in the day of God's wrath? Look in your Bible in Zephaniah 2 and verse number 3. Look at verse 3. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment or justice. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. At that point in time, the context was, if you don't want to be on the receiving end of the Lord's anger, in other words, if you want to be in the Lord's favor, in that verse we read, there are three things that Jehovah wanted them to seek. Seek the Lord, seek righteousness, and seek meekness. And one who was going to seek the Lord, if he did it properly, he'd be seeking meekness, and he'd be seeking righteousness. And so the point I want to make is this. If we had been a Jewish disciple of Jesus, listening to his message that we call the Sermon on the Mount, we would have been listening with the idea from the Old Testament that meekness is something God always has wanted his people to display. 1 Peter chapter 3. Does that ring a bell, ladies? Does that ring a bell, men? Covered a lot of people there, haven't we? First seven verses of 1 Peter 3 deal with the marriage relationship. Verse 7 is husbands, how they're to deal with their wives. But the first six verses are wives dealing with their husbands. And in particular, how is a Christian woman supposed to work to influence her non-obedient husband? I don't mean not obedient to her, but the implication is he's not a Christian. Now, it's possible it could include a, a person who's become a brother in the Lord but has become unfaithful. But it's a person who doesn't obey the word. And so how is she supposed to influence him? Well, Peter's answer in the negative is, it's not going to be by your outward adorning and the jewelry that you put on. Okay, It's going to be by your chaste conduct. And then in verse number 4, here's something that's of great value or precious or of a great price in the sight of God. What is it? A meek and gentle or quiet spirit. You say, I'm a man. I'm not into this meekness stuff. Remember what we read in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the meek. That's not gender specific, y'all. God expects the male followers of Jesus to demonstrate meekness just as much as he does the female followers. But the context of 1 Peter 3 and verse 4 is women trying to influence their husbands. But the point is, meekness, 
a meek spirit or a gentle spirit, I think the New King James says, is of great value, it's of great price in the sight of God. Would you agree with this? Would you agree that the God of heaven is a fair God? I'm sure you would. He's never expected anything of anybody that they were not capable of doing. And so it, it may not be something that you and I find easy to do in every instance, but being a meek person, does the Lord expect us to be a meek person in the 21st century? He sure does, okay? So, so the meaning of the word again is mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and it's something the Lord expects of all of us. Now, let's make some application, okay? How does that work in my life? In the real world, what are some scenarios in which you and I have the opportunity to demonstrate that meekness, gentleness, or mildness? In your world, does everything go exactly like you want it to go? Do I have to ask? Where you work, or where you did work, even though you in general got along with a lot of... Was there anybody with whom you now work or did work that was kind of annoying? Just got on your nerves? Was there a know-it-all that you, you, you learned you never ask him anything because he can tell you everything about everything? If you don't believe it, just ask him. Is that annoying? Yeah, sure is. Or maybe there's that person at work. She's not a know-it-all, but it doesn't seem like she pulls her weight. It seems like she's just letting everybody else do all the work. Or maybe there's that person at work. He's not a know-it-all and he's not lazy, but he's a 44-year-old man with a 10-year-old mentality. He's just so immature. Those things annoy you. They can be annoying, right? Frustrating? Yeah. Hard to deal with? Hard to be patient? Yeah. But you see, the gentleness and mildness and meekness is what the Lord expects of us regardless of how other people conduct their affairs. Regardless of how they run their mouth. Regardless of their work ethic. The Lord expects us to be meek people. You ever encounter anybody in society you would just call just a, a hateful, rude, mean-spirited person? I've seen a few of those. You know, when Paul was describing himself and other people before they obeyed the gospel, before they were born again, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 at the end of the verse, his description is, we were hateful and hating one another. We encounter that a lot in society. Well, what are we to do? Are we to fight fire with fire? Are we to out-hate them? Are we to out-root them? Are we to say, buddy, you don't know who you're dealing with here. No, we're to demonstrate a spirit of meekness and gentleness. There'll be individuals who attack things that you and I hold to be very holy. They'll attack God's word. They'll attack God's people. Now, Paul wrote in Philippians 1 and verse 7, he was set for the defense of the gospel. And there are times when we have to stand toe-to-toe, so to speak, in defense of that word. But it needs to be with the spirit of meekness and a spirit of gentleness. We're not trying to outbrain people. We're not trying, trying. We're not trying to outtalk people. We're appealing to people to open the scriptures and investigate 
what the Scriptures say. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So one scenario in life where meekness or gentleness is something we ought to demonstrate, that's dealing with folks that are not that easy to deal with, whether it's at work or or out in public or whatever. Did I say 2 Timothy 2? How about that? That's what I meant to say. Now, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. But what if tonight before services, I'd stood at the back door and for each one of you as you came in and we greeted one another, I asked you a question, not, not, not with the intent of making you uneasy or putting you on the spot, but if I just asked you the question, sir or ma'am, are you a servant of the Lord? Well, you would without any sense of shame or without any sense of arrogance. If you're a member of God's family, say, yeah, I'm a servant of the Lord. What I, the reason I bring that up is this. We're going to read something in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that's a description of what God expects for anyone who is a servant of the Lord. Now look with me in verse 24. Chapter 2 and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive or be quarrelsome, but be gentle unto those people whom he likes. You say, Brother Campbell, what version is that? Is that your hog farmer version? No, what's it say? Be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, Timothy, okay? Timothy was going to have to deal with people across the spectrum, right? He'd have to deal with all kinds of people. Well, in his dealings with people and approaching them, he would need to deal with them and approach them with what? Not a quarrelsome spirit, but a gentle spirit, a spirit of meekness. And so as we're trying to reach the lost, again, we're not trying to outbrain them. We're not trying to show we know more. We're not trying to show we can outtalk them. But we're appealing to their respect for God and His Word. Say, here's what the Scriptures teach. Or sometimes the individuals with we're dealing are not those who are outside of the body of the Lord. Sometimes we're dealing with brothers and sisters who've been overtaken in a fault or trespass. What's the instruction of Galatians 6? Say, so well, you just shrug your shoulders. If he wants to come back, he'll come back, I reckon. No, the Bible says, if there, there's one among us who's overtaken in a fault or trespass, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness or gentleness. What? Considering thy own self also, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. One, one part of our, our responsibility to one another is we bear one another's burdens. And part of that is we see a brother or sister who's been overtaken in a fault or trespass. We step up and try to help them get over that and come back where they need to be. And the emphasis is the disposition we're to show in dealing with them is what? A spirit of meekness or gentleness. Now, turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. So sometimes it may be we're dealing with people who haven't obeyed the gospel. Can that be challenging? Extremely so. 
Sometimes we're dealing with members of the church whose faith is, is, is wavering or they've been overtaken a fault. Can that be challenging? Yes, it can. Sometimes, though, it's not a matter of somebody being in sin. It's, it's just a matter of, and I, I can't understand why, somebody's opinion's different than mine. And they suggested something, and I thought it was a terrible idea, and I suggested something, and she thought it was a terrible idea. And so, you know, sometimes we have to deal with those things. Look in your Bible in Colossians 3, verse number 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, that is, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel or complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. In, in manifesting that forgiving spirit, you know what? You know this. You know this. Wherever you have people, from time to time, there's going to be some friction, right? Even where you have the best people in the world, there are going to be some, some strained relations. There's going to be some friction. And the appeal of these verses is, Paul is talking in Colossians 3, there are some things we put off, and there are some things we put on. And one of the things we put on is a spirit by which we try to imitate the forgiving spirit of our Lord. Doing so with meekness and bearing with one another. You say, Brother Campbell, does that mean putting up with one another? Yeah, that's what it means. A spirit of meekness. So, so all of those aspects of life, dealing with a rude person at, at, at Walmart, dealing with that know-it-all or that lazy person at work, trying to communicate the gospel to a person who admits the truth but refuses to obey, dealing with that brother or sister who's overtaken in a fault, dealing with one another when we have a difference of opinion about matters that, that don't really matter. But let me mention one other aspect of life in which our gentleness and mildness and meekness needs to shine through. I don't think it's a part of our study this summer. But if we continue reading on in Matthew chapter 5, the message is that the disciples of Jesus are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and you're to let your light so shine before men. You know where that needs to begin, right? That needs to begin at the house. That needs to begin in our family units. We need to be a good example when we're out in public. But we need to be a good example at home. Something's not right about this picture. When we demonstrate mildness and gentleness in dealing with rude people in public or less than kind people in public, but the minute we walk in the door, mildness and meekness and gentleness, they're gone. I'm not to be mild and meek and gentle with you. You're, you're my kid. You're my spouse. That's not a good look, y'all. Are we all a work in progress? Yeah, we are. But nobody gets a free pass. We don't get to pick and choose the days of the week or the scenarios in which we demonstrate meekness, right? God wants to be meek all the time. Now, let's come and look at that last portion of Matthew 5 and verse 5. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are the meek, for they shall, what? Inherit the earth. Well, at least you could say it's interesting. <laughs> Inherit 
the earth. Now let's just knock one idea in the head and move on. 2 Peter chapter 3 makes it plain that when the day of the Lord or the day of God comes, something's going to happen with this material universe. What is it? It's going to be destroyed by fire. So any notion that any human being has that they're going to live on an eternal paradise on the planet earth, that's not based in the scriptures. There's not going to be a recreated earth for man's dwelling. There's not going to be a renovated earth for man's dwelling. Heaven will not be on earth. And it's mind-boggling that even some members of the church have bought into the foolishness that heaven's going to be on a renovated earth. I don't have the proper adjectives in my vocabulary to say how disappointing that is. But but that's not going to happen. Our inheritance, okay? Our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, and reserved where? In heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4. So when Jesus talks about inheriting the earth, He's not talking about possessing this earth eternally and being on the earth after we die. We read earlier in the book of Zephaniah about the idea in the Old Testament the Jews were expected to be meek. But what about this idea of the meek inheriting the earth? Your Bible may have a footnote there or, or a center reference in Matthew chapter 5. And if you do, it probably is going to say Psalm 37. Now, does your Bible have one of these black strings right there in Psalm 37? Mine does. Let's get over there. Okay, Let's look over in Psalm 37. Psalm 37. What was it the Master said? Blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek. For what? For they shall inherit the earth. Now, look in your Bible in, in Psalm 37 and verse number 11. But the meek shall what? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, in your Bible, there in verse 11 of Psalm 37, what's the first word? Is it the word but? It is, right? The word but is a contrast. In contrast to something, or in contrast to someone, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, in contrast to whom? We'll go back and and look at at the preceding verse. Verse number 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked. So in contrast to the wicked, the meek are going to be blessed. Look back at verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. So verse 11 is the meek. Verse 10 is the wicked. Verse 9 are the evildoers. Now, I can't promise that my counting is correct. Okay? I can't promise that. But you can investigate. But in Psalm 37, Psalm 37, I'll say it this way, at least three times in Psalm 37, we read that a certain type of person will inherit the earth. But that's not all. At least three times in Psalm 37, we also read that a certain type of person will inherit the land or dwell in the land. Let's first of all run down those verses, find those verses and read them that speak about a certain type of individual inheriting the earth. We just read verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 11. According to verse 11, 
what type of person was to inherit the earth? Meek person, right? All right, stay in the same chapter. I got to look at the, I got, I got this colored in pencil. Okay, it's verse 22. Verse 22. For such as be blessed of him of God shall inherit the earth. In other words, those who are blessed by God will inherit the earth. And then we already read, I missed it. Back in verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall what? Inherit the earth. So, so three times at least, the statement is made, a certain type of person will inherit the earth. According to verse 22, it's the one whom the Lord blesses. According to verse number 9, it's one who waits on the Lord. According to verse 11, it's one who is meek. What would be your general conclusion about the person that's being described, would it not be a faithful servant of the Lord? He's going to be blessed. But I also said there are at least three verses in that chapter that speak about inheriting the land or dwelling in the land. Look in chapter 37, verse number 3. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. So what's the condition of dwelling in the land with God's blessing? Trust in the Lord. Okay, drop down to verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in there, dwell therein forever. So according to verse 29, what's the condition of, of inheriting the land? Be a righteous person. And then verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep His way and He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. So here's our question. As you investigate the message of Psalm 37, at least three times the message is somebody's going to inherit the earth, and at least three times the message is somebody's going to inherit the land or dwell in the land. What's the point? Inheriting the land is the same thing as inheriting the earth. God was going to pour out His blessings on those who waited on Him and who were righteous. Now, How does that apply to you and me in the 21st century? How does Matthew 5 and 5, inheriting the earth, apply to us? Well, let's let's think about some things out loud, okay? And and let's see if these things at least are, are helpful. You ever sing the song, This is my Father's World? What are we saying when, when we sing that song? If it's here, it's His. That's what the psalmist teaches. Psalm 24 and verse number 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Our Father is the ruler of the universe. As the old song says, He's got the whole world in His hands. Our Father reigns, there can be changes for who's sitting behind the desk in the White House. There can be changes for who's sitting behind the desk in the presidential office in Moscow, Russia. But you know one thing that never changes? This is our Father's world. And the Bible says in Psalm 47, in verse number 47, the Lord is the king of all the earth. Our Father has everything. But what about our Savior? We've been studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. 
And right there out of the gates in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 is an amazing truth that, that Jesus is the prince or the ruler of all the kings of the earth. He's not, Jesus is never going to step up in authority. He's never going to step up in power because he has all authority right now. Isn't that true? He's the ruler now. And the very next verse, Revelation 1 and verse 6, because of him, he's made us priests and kings or a kingdom. I think that's connected with us inheriting the earth. So our Father's the ruler of the universe. Our Savior rules over the kings of the earth. How about this one? If you're a, a member of the Lord's church, you're part of the best family in the world, aren't you? When Paul was writing a letter to Paul, Paul was writing a letter not to Paul, but to Timothy. He said he hoped to come to Timothy soon. He said, but if I tarry, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 15. The greatest family in the world. You remember what Jesus said? There was this rich man who was a young man, and he was a ruler man, so we called him the rich young ruler man, right? He, he had all these riches, and Jesus said, you know, take what you have, sell it, Give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. Well, he went away with great sadness. Well, well Peter, you, you know Peter. Peter steps up. Peter filled this vacuum here, and Peter steps up and he says, Well, Lord, we've forsaken everything for you. What do we get? And Jesus said, Well, if you follow me, you get persecutions in this life. And in the life to come, you get eternal life. He said, but also in this world, when you leave father, mother, you leave brother and sister, you leave wife or husband, and you leave lands and you leave houses for my sake, he said, you know what? You get those all back, what? hundredfold. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but my wife and I have been on the receiving end of motherly treatment. From hundreds of mothers, we both had one biological mother. But we've been blessed to be pampered by our sisters in the Lord, old enough to be our mothers, on four different continents. It doesn't get any better than that. We're blessed because of our relationship with the Lord and the brother and sister relationships that we have. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. John 10 and verse 10. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the very best life possible. We don't say that in a bragging fashion, but you cannot be a better person than the Lord will make you through His gospel. You want to talk about living life to its fullest? That's what you do when you follow Jesus which includes demonstrating that meekness. How many spiritual blessings are, are, are absent or missing? None. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So if we're in the Christ, we're blessed to have the best family. We're best blessed to have the best life. Our fathers are the ruler of the universe. Our Savior rules over the kings of this earth. Look at one final thing before we close. Look at your Bible in, in uh, Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11. That's page 889. Does that help? 
You know, a lot of times in the Bible we read about Jesus or the Messiah being the offspring of David, seed of David. In fact, in Ezekiel 37, I believe Jesus or the Messiah is called David. But here in Isaiah 11, it's not David. It's some fellow by the name of Jesse. Remember remember who Jesse was? Look at verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who, who was Jesse? Jesse was David's daddy. Okay. So it's the same idea that the Messiah is going to come through the lineage of Jesse through David. Look down in verse 10 also, okay? Verse 10. And in that day, it's not talking about a day of the week. It's not talking about a day on the calendar. It's talking about the period of time under the reign of the Messiah, the gospel era. In that day... There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Here's a question. Who or what is this root of Jesse to which the Gentiles seek? Well, when you and I read Romans chapter 15, Paul explains it. So it's talking about Jesus being the Messiah. So, so in Isaiah 11, where you read about these animals who normally would not be friendly with one another... Well, they get along just fine. And, and this little child who's around critters that normally he shouldn't be around, they get along just fine. That's not talking about some type of, of, of material rain on the earth. It's talking about the peaceful kingdom that the Son of God would establish as the Prince of Peace through the Gospel of Peace a kingdom of peace. Now I say all of that so we can get the setting. It's talking about the reign of the Messiah, the New Testament era. Now look at verse 9. That's the verse I want. Verse number 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Have you ever been standing or sitting somewhere or perhaps in a vessel and all you could see was water? I mean, you, you look around and all you can see is water. Is a big portion of our earth covered by water? Big old percentage, right? Here's the picture. As the waters cover the sea, The knowledge of the Lord will fill up the earth. That's a prophecy that in the gospel era, when that charge is given, go preach the gospel to every creature, and there are about 7.8 billion of them on the earth now, that God's people would stand up, would rise up, and not simply say, boy, I wish those people over there could learn about Jesus. They teach the gospel to their neighbors. They teach the gospel to their friends. They teach the gospel to their co-workers. They use technology and get the gospel throughout the world. They carry the gospel to lost people. The knowledge of the Lord through the gospel about the Son of God filling up the earth. It gives me cold chills. Just to think about it. Knowledge of God's word is not to be limited to a church building in Red Bank, Tennessee. It's a message for lost people everywhere. The earth is ours for the taking in the sense that we're on a mission. 
to carry the gospel to lost people. Blessed are the meek. I'm blessed because I'm meek. Our efforts are not always what we'd like them to be. But we believe with God as our helper, we can be a gentle, mild, meek person in our dealings with other people. May God bless us as we do that. Tonight, we've not spoken about what one needs to do to become a Christian. But the Bible's really clear. The blood of Jesus has the same power now that it had nearly 2,000 years ago. The Bible's message is clear. One who hears the gospel believes it and obeys it by repenting of sins, confessing faith, and being immersed in water for the remission of sins will have every sin washed away. God will remember those sins no more. If you never obeyed the gospel, wouldn't you do that tonight? Or as a child of God, if you need the prayers of the saints, the song's been selected, number 207. If it's convenient, would you stand as we sing?